0: God of grace and God of glory, we come into your holy presence this morning to worship you, to lift up our hearts and minds, our very bodies, to present them as living sacrifices totally devoted to you. We are your holy vessels for the sake of the world. So we pray that you will bless us, may you be honored and glorified with the words that we proclaim and the music that we sing, with the fellowship and that we enjoy and the business that we conduct as the members and friends of Laguna Presbyterian Church. This we pray in your name. Amen.
1: Would you join me in the responsive call to worship that you'll find on the front of the bulletin? Fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt, they commit abominable acts. There is no one who does good.
2: God looks down from heaven on humankind to see if there are any who are wise who seek after God.
1: Have they no knowledge, those evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they shall be in great terror, in terror such as has not been.
2: Oh, that deliverance for Israel would come from Zion.
1: When God restores the fortunes of his people, Jacob will rejoice, Israel will be glad. Let us stand and praise God together. Holy,
2: holy, holy church. great is our God, church. Eternal God, unchanging, mysterious and unknown. Eternal God,
3: unchanging, mysterious Rise up, oh Lord.
2: Let us be seated as we continue in worship.
1: Will you join me in the responsive call to confession that you'll find printed in your bulletin? In sovereign love, God created the world good and makes everyone equally in God's image, male and female, of every race and people, to live as one community. But we rebel against God. We hide from our Creator. Ignoring God's commandments, we violate the image of God in others and ourselves, accept lies as truth, exploit neighbor and nature, and threaten death to the planet entrusted to our care. It is true we deserve God's condemnation Yet God acts with justice and mercy to redeem creation. Create in us a pure heart, O God, and renew a
2: steadfast spirit within us. So we sing the chorus together, Create in Me.
3: Create
2: Pleasing to God. We'll sing that together. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. Give us, O oh God. Bring us back into the fullness of our covenant with you and our covenant with one another. Hear us now in the silence.
1: For we pray through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. My friends, hear the good news. In everlasting love, the God of Abraham and Sarah chose a covenant people to bless all the families of the earth. Hearing their cry, God delivered the children of Israel from the house of bondage. Loving us still, God makes us heirs with Christ of the covenant, like a mother who will not forsake her nursing child, like a father who runs to welcome the prodigal home. God is faithful still. In life and in death, we belong to God. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, we trust in the one triune God, the Holy One of Israel, whom alone we worship and serve. Amen.
3: What you gonna preach by the life you live, what you gonna preach?
0: To preach. This is what I'm going to preach. I want to preach from Daniel, chapter five. It was in 1994 that some of us were on a mission trip on our way to East Africa, and we had an overnight in in London. And to pass a few hours away, we went to some of the museums. One in particular, the National Gallery, right in the center of London. And as I was Roaming amongst the rooms of this wonderful art museum, I walked into this room and saw one of Rembrandt's paintings, and I'm a sucker for Rembrandt, as you know. It was a 17th century painting of Belshazzar's Feast, which is the text of this morning from Daniel 5, and I I want to tell it to you. It's a lengthy story. I'm not going to read it, but I want to encourage you to read it. The historical context of this story is 539 B.C. Daniel has been in Babylon for 50 years. He's become an old man. The king is no longer Nebuchadnezzar, but his grandson perhaps. Belshazzar, and he was a man who knew how to throw a party, but who was at the same time a very insensitive political leader who had a major disconnect with what was going on in the world around him. At the very moment he was celebrating Babylon's glory and power. He was totally insensitive to the fact that another empire was on the rise, that in fact the Persian ruler, Cyrus the Great, was at the city gates of Babylon. Belshazzar had invited a thousand of his fellow leaders. I mean, this was the wealthy elite. They were graduates of Babylon University. They had read the right books. They spoke the right language. They were in the inner circle, the top 10%. They lived in the high-income part of Babylon. They had it made. And all of them together, I suspect, were insensitive spiritually to what was going on in the world. Belshazzar had done everything he could do to prepare for this festival. He had sent his wine stewards down into the wine cellar and surveyed all the best wines that he had accumulated. When you got the best red and the best white, you got the best band and the best people, you've gathered a thousand people in the East Room of the White House, you ready for the party. And in front of them all, Belshazzar the king was drinking this wine and encouraging everyone to drink it. And he said, hey, we can do better than this. Let's bring in our best vessels to drink the wine from. We got gourmet food of Babylon. Let's bring in the best vessels. Oh, by the way, remember 587 B.C., My father, Nebuchadnezzar, conquered Jerusalem, burned down the temple. But before he did, he gathered all the gold and silver vessels that had been used in the worship of God, vessels that had been devoted to the worship of God. And he brought them back to Babylon and put them in his storage. And so they brought out all the gold and silver and all of that. And together they were having one hell of a party drinking from the holy vessels of the house of god insensitive really we wonder what what's so wrong about using all these vessels i mean it's like taking the communion ware from the church the chalice the the plates on which the bread is, the the wood, the stone, the everything that is associated with this building, you you bring symbolic parts of it and you wonder, well, what's so special about that? Let's just decommission it and use it. It's happened to a lot of churches. <laughs> when the party was really going good, suddenly something captured Belshazzar's. Vision. On the plaster wall of his palace in the banquet room, there was a disembodied hand. Whoa, he must have asked himself, What am I drinking? What's in this wine? He realized that there was something being written on the wall of his palace room. And it looked like Aramaic and it's supposed to read from right to left, but he couldn't read it right to left. It had all the consonants there, but it looked scrambled to him and his visceral response in his body to this Hand that was writing on the wall. Perhaps he thought he was going mad like his father Nebuchadnezzar had gone mad. His knees began to knock. His adrenaline began to pump. His face grew pale. And he was scared to death as to what this might mean called all of his wise men and enchanters and dream interpreters in. They couldn't couldn't make anything of it. The queen mother rushed in to comfort the king, Belshazzar, says, you know, there's a guy who's brought here in 587 B.C. by your father. He's still alive. He's got a reputation of being a dreamer and an interpreter. Call him in. And they brought Daniel in. And by this time, Daniel had seen and experienced enough. He wasn't afraid of anything. He probably figured he's going to die pretty soon anyway. And so he simply told him his father's story of how he lost his humanity because of the sin of pride. He lifted his heart up and proclaimed his own self-sufficiency and the glory and the power of Babylon and of his reign. Not realizing that within a few years he'd be dead like all other mortals. He thought he was God. The greatest man on the face of the earth. Daniel said to Belshazzar, even though you knew this story, you had not learned the lesson it's too late for you that's enough to make your knees knock isn't it let me tell you what's written on the wall it's written not right to left it's written in columns up and down it looks scrambled but this is what it says there these words are written there. Many, many, tekel ufarson, and what it means is that the days of your kingdom are numbered, and the kingdom is taken away from you. What it means is is that you've been weighed in the scales and found wanting. What it means is that your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And that very night, you know what happened? That very night, 539 B.C., Cyrus and his army snuck into the city while the party was going on and captured it with almost, totally without any kind of battle. They went into the throne room. They removed the king from the throne And they killed him. And he died that very night. And it was the end of the Babylonian Empire. The beginning of the Persian. And what this story is all about, what this painting is all about, is about the tendency that all of us have to become desensitized and spiritually insensitive to what's going on in the world. I confess in preaching this morning, my knees are knocking because I'm afraid to tell you what's going on in the world, even though you know what's going on in the world. Jesus, when he arrived in Jerusalem, At the beginning of the last week of his life, he stood outside of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives and he wept over Jerusalem because it did not know the day of its visitation. It did not know the things that make for peace. He was the word of God incarnate. He was God's message to the world of salvation. And the holy city was saying no to God's Messiah. It did not take a prophet to know that within a very few years that the Roman legions would be stirred up and Jerusalem in 70 A.D. would be destroyed by the Romans. The people scattered, as many Jews killed as possible, one of the great holocausts in the history of the Jewish people. And it grieved Jesus And throughout his ministry, he proclaimed the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. It was his way of saying, wake up. You know, a few years ago, PBS did a special on Sigmund Freud and C.S. Lewis. They presented Sigmund Freud, the father of modern psychiatry, there's one who taught that the, the central issue of the human condition is for us to grow up and accept the fact that this life is all there is. You live and die, you return to the dust, and that's it. You've got to grow up and accept that if you're going to be human. And C.S. Lewis, the Oxford Don of, of literature, he said the issue is not about growing up. The issue is about waking up. Become spiritually sensitized to who God is and where God is at work in the world and what's happening in this messed up, meltdown world in which we live. Wake up. The young lawyer came to Jesus, Luke 10 And he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Who of us does not want eternal life? What do I have to do? What do I have to believe? Get my soul saved and everything will be fine. Jesus said, well, what does the law say? And the lawyer answered, the law says, love God with the totality of your being and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've got it right. You're almost in the kingdom. Do this and you will live. And then, seeking to justify himself, not wanting to be too much in agreement with Jesus, he asked, well, wait a minute, Um, who's my neighbor? And rather than outright answering, Jesus told him a parable that we call the parable of the Good Samaritan, about the guys going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, religious functionaries who discovered a guy laying in the ditch who had been left behind, who had not been included, who had been left for dead, and being so insensitive that they refused to stop and do anything about it, even check and see if the man was alive. They walked on by. Spiritually insensitive, not awake to what's going on. And then the Samaritan, the hated heretic, he came along and he saw the man through the eyes of compassion. He was spiritually alive. He knew who his neighbor was and he couldn't treat him like a dead piece of meat but he had to at least check and see if he was alive, and he discovered that he was alive. He, he bandaged his wounds, put him on his little horse, took him down to the nearest hospital, paid his bill, and the men survived. And Jesus asked the lawyer who was wanting to argue with him, which one of these three proved to be a neighbor? Not a question of who's my neighbor, but whether or not I'm a neighbor. The lawyer knew the answer. It was the guy who showed compassion, who was spiritually alert, who knew what was going on, who responded, who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. There are many things written on the walls of the buildings in which we live, but surely one of the things that's written on the wall of the church that we cherish is the, are those two commandments, love God with the totality of your being and your neighbor is yourself. Jesus' job was to wake people up to that reality, to cause them to question their lives, to see others, to begin to understand what their responsibility was to their neighbor, simply because they were children of God, because God comes to us in holy vessels, human beings that we are called to see and to accept and to welcome and to love and to nurture And woe be to those who cannot see the presence of the living Christ in the face of brothers and sisters. There are a lot of writings on the wall. Sometimes you know it takes an election to open our eyes to see the writing on the wall. And I want to risk something this morning. Plead that you'll have mercy on your pastor Some of the writing that I see is that we are a deeply divided nation between red and blue states, and we're all angry with one another, but one of the things we need to see is that there are a multitude, a million of people out there in the middle part of the country, in Appalachia, and in the Rust Belt of this country who feel like they've been totally left behind without work, with an economy that doesn't work, who are in deep need, and they're angry as hell and not going to take it anymore. We need to see those folks. They're our neighbors even though they live in the red states and we sophisticates in the blue states have a certain air of superiority. You've heard this before. This election may cause us to see the writing on the wall, a nation cannot long survive that neglects its fellow citizens a nation in which some people feel very satisfied and happy because they've made it, even though there are a multitude of people who feel on the outs and are hopeless. There's also a writing on the wall about our national racism. Because of slavery, our history of slavery, and separation that we've developed between the races and the prejudices that many of us, including myself, without even knowing it, have nurtured in our hearts. One of the writings on the wall, I think, is that if we do not see black lives matter, we will never understand that all lives matter. And we need to wake up to that. There's this big X word, xenophobia, that's written on the wall. And we're, we're scared to death of people who might be our neighbors, who maybe are here illegally. We fear the stranger. And we're about to do everything we can do to build walls To keep them out. People who want nothing more than to be alive and to be secure. Let me tell you, I think what is also written up there on the wall is this reminder that every wall you built will have a writing upon it as a reminder of a question Who's your neighbor? Are you the neighbor? We can't escape it. It's the word of the Lord, and it's what we need to hear, as painful as it may be. There's another word on the wall. It's truthiness. Words mean one thing today and another thing tomorrow. We don't know whether a person is stating a fact or a truth. And we engage in it ourselves, I've engaged in it, go on social media, go on Facebook. We make our posts on the wall and we make statements about other people that may or may not be true and that trample all over the conscience of others. Folks, the writing on the wall says if we don't stop, we're going to continue the alienation and the deep anger that's at the heart of this nation at this time. Women. We've never had such open discussion about sexual abuse, sexual harassment, men having the right because of their power to do and say whatever they want to say in regard to women. Persons created in the image of God to be treated with integrity and decency, whether we like them, whether we think they're beautiful or ugly. I can guarantee you there are multitudes of women in this country now in every state, red and blue, who feel left behind and used the writing on the wall asks us what we're going to do about that you know what we've also done we've legalized pot to use it as a recreational drug along with alcohol in the name of freedom and the liberty to do whatever we want to do that makes us feel good And we've forgotten that this is the gateway drug for the deeper problems of the more harmful drugs. And we have an alcohol drug addiction in this country, an opioid prescription drug addiction in this country that is destroying us. As people in every state, red or blue, are seeking to escape the pain of human existence. And we need to find out what that is about. And I know there are arguments on every side of that. And we become a red and a blue church. Somehow that's all right. Except for the fact that we have such different political, theological worldviews that Many have decided that they can't stay in fellowship with others, that they've got to seek a pure church, a like-minded church where everybody's red or everybody's blue. And that is to miss the truth of the word of God, that we are a motley group of people, all of us saved by the grace of God, whether we're Republicans or Democrats or independents, We need God's grace and we need to learn to love one another and to give to one another because we have received so abundantly from God. Well, there you have it. That's what I want to preach this Sunday. Many, many takel farson. Kingdoms taken away from you. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. The kingdom is divided and given to someone else. That's the destiny of kingdoms that continue to live, in spiritual blindness and the abuse of power. When I was at the museum in London, one of the first things I did was to go to the the shop in the museum and purchase a print of Belshazzar's feast. And I brought it home in the plastic bag from the National Gallery. And it's remained in my closet in the same plastic bag. (laughs) I got it out this last week, and I thought to myself, why? I adore Rembrandt's paintings, his biblical scenes his capturing of the story in in the most poignant moment. I thought to myself, the reason that's not hanging is that I'm not sure I could stand to look at it every day. Because it reminds me of something about me and the need of my people. One of the most horrible images one could have is of the final judgment of God of being weighed in the balances and found wanting. And rather than going to heaven in eternal life, ending up in hell. Where is it at with you? I pledge to put it on the wall as soon as I can. You may not like some of the things I said this morning, and that's okay. But I hope you'll listen. I want to listen to you. We are one people of God, children of God, called to love one another. And I love you. I'm so grateful for your faithfulness. And I'm preaching this morning out of my heart, not just to this congregation, but I'm preaching to the nation, to the world. Wake up. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Receive <clears throat> our morning offering.
3: Crucify, lay behind the stone. and alone like a rose trampled on the ground. You, you took t- the fall and thought of us above all Rejected and alone, like a rose, trampled on the ground, you took the fall, and part of
2: us, above all, for you have given to him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bend in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us stand as we sing that together. He is Lord.
1: Christ, above all powers, above all kings, we give you thanks for our country and the freedoms we enjoy. After this week's election, some of us are caught up in anger or fears, others in celebration. We have found ourselves to be more divided than we realized, more racist, more xenophobic, more abusive of power. Lord, have mercy. Show us a way to live together as one people. Grant us awareness of each other's hopes and fears, even across our great divides. Open us to each other's needs. Let us see your face, not only in those who agree with us, but also in those who don't. Heal our hearts, mend our land. We ask that you would give wisdom to our national leaders who are even now beginning to make decisions that will shape our country and our lives for years to come. May we be a people who share your heart for justice and for reconciliation We pray for all who cry out for help today, here and around the world, asking that you will meet their needs, that you will heal them, that you will provide for them. As we bring you these gifts, we ask that you will use them and that you will use us for your purposes in this world. Even as we pray for the day when your will is done on earth, as in heaven, saying,
0: God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Receive the mind of Christ. Go forth from here with eyes and ears and hearts opened to the truth of the gospel of God. In life and in death we belong to God through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Amen.